Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 568. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. I'm Lorraine Sink, and boy, are your arms tired. How was D23, (laughs) Ryan? (laughs) It was good. It was good. It was tiring, but uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of events, and and fans, and, and cool things. It was weird, but great to be back with the crowds, with all the fans, and like being in the big panel rooms and, and seeing the emotion on people's faces when news were, was announced or they would see something or just like experiencing stuff. So it was pretty cool, pretty fun. Yeah, and I saw that you went to Avengers Campus at Disney California Adventure. Oh, yeah. I went to the Pym Test Kitchen. Of course, I did not ride Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout because I did not want to scream because... There's video evidence on Marvel's YouTube channel of me screaming, <laughs> riding that next to you, Lorraine. Did you get to go over and check out the Web Slingers of Spider-Man Adventure attraction over there? I sure did. I wrote it three times. It is terrific. And it's like, even when you're walking through, Peter is part of this program with other really young geniuses. So there's Doreen Green is in there and Lunella Lafayette is in there. And it's really fun. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. I had good FOMO, but it was also nice to just like follow along with your social this weekend so I could be like, all right, what am I missing out on? I want to see what's in there. So that was super fun. But this isn't only to talk about D23. This is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. And this week, we're excited about having Kieran Gillen on to talk about Axe Judgment Day. Where he is killing Every character you love. Yeah, he is. When you start getting into Axe Judgment Day issues like three, four, and five, whoo boy. Oh boy. It's a spicy meatball. But let's talk about that with Kieran in a little while. All right. Yeah, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to that soon. But let's talk just a hair more about D23 Expo. We put out a bonus episode earlier this week with lots and lots of stuff. Ryan out in the field doing all the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. We wanted to give you some quick highlights. But of course, go listen to that bonus if you want the real full breakdown. Ryan on the street. Ryan on the street. Ryan on the street. <laughs> What's some of the stuff they can get in the bonus episode with you? Of course, you hear about the cast and characters revealed for Marvel Studios Thunderbolts, which is awesome. We know there's now a director for Marvel Studios Fantastic Four, and that's coming to theaters November 8th, 2024. That's Matt Shackman. We talk a little bit about the surprise appearances from talent to the first looks that we got. I describe some of those for stuff like Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania or Marvel Studios The Marvels, which I keep thinking about because it was so good and so funny, and I just want that right now. And all all the stuff, of course, the original series and specials coming to Disney+. Plus. And you could watch right now, again, there's a trailer for Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night, which is coming out next month. There's a trailer for Marvel Studios Secret Invasion, which is coming in 2023. The special little surprises for Marvel Studios Daredevil Born Again, Marvel Studios Loki Season 2. So much was so good. Also, I just like was so tickled by all of the stuff about Marvel Studios' Captain America New World Order, including Tim Blake Nelson returning Mm -hmm. as the leader after 14 years away. That just, man, gave me a good little tickle. But there's a whole bunch more Marvel Studios news. Go listen to the bonus for the full breakdown, for more inside scoop from Ryan, who was there in person. But there was even more goodness. Disney Parks Showcase showed off Avengers Campus at Disneyland Resort. 
some more info about that and how it's going to head into the multiverse with a third attraction with a brand new story attached. Mm-hmm. The Incredible Hulk is going to be also appearing at Avengers Campus in his quantum suit. I got to see a, a picture of him. He's a big, big boy. That was super duper massive, fun. Massive. He was like massive. double the size of a human person, man. And I know. Was, I saw him next what? to Kevin Feige and he yeah. it was like two Kevin Feige's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But also, you know, if you didn't listen to our last full episode, we talked a bunch about the Disney and Marvel Games Showcase. We had on some special guests that talked a whole bunch about that, but we have a bunch of more details about games that are coming, about Marvel Snap, which is coming this October, Marvel's Midnight Suns that's going to launch now December 2nd of this year, which is super duper exciting. Marvel World of Heroes, a new mobile game in partnership with Niantic. That's coming in 2023. And then Marvel Games and Skydance New Media shared a first look at a new AAA game with an ensemble cast, an original story in a unique Marvel universe. It's a whole thing. But of course, go listen to last week's episode to get the full deets on that. And of course, you can also go over to marvel.com to check out articles. You can see a ton of videos with Ryan there on the ground. There's clips from panels, there's celebrity interviews, there's fan reactions, there's a really great cosplay breakdown of some of the amazing costumes that were there. It's the coolest. You can watch those on marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel or Marvel Social. Enjoy it all. Another thing we got to make sure, I don't know if I got to mention it in the bonus episode, is talking about Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur because we got a premiere date for the animated series coming February 10th, 2023 on Disney Channel and later on Disney+. Plus. We did do a video about it on Marvel.com, so you can watch that on Marvel.com and the YouTube because they had a panel about the series. There were some interviews that we were able to capture, and we showed off there's a, a new trailer and a whole bunch of cool stuff. And everyone in the room who was there for the panel got a plush devil dinosaur. <gasps> and so I was shown that, and I was like, what? Because Catherine will... I know for sure be a huge Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur fan. So I'm like, I couldn't make it because I was doing other stuff. So I was lucky enough to get a stuffed devil for her. I am right now volunteering to help you create a Lunella Lafayette costume for Catherine Grace. You will be needing a red dinosaur inflatable costume. Yes. Immediately. I know. You have to do it. But again, check out all of the good stuff over on Marvel.com, the Marvel YouTube channel, the Marvel socials. It is flush with D23 goodness and some super cute Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur stuff. Of course, Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law Episode 5 aired this week. And after everything that's been going on, all the characters that have shown up, the character find of the Millennium, Madison... Where do they go from here? What does episode five have? I'm not going to spoil anything, but we still have a lot to come in the series. Some big fun moments. And of course, you know, we've been teasing all that Daredevil action. You never know. Stay tuned. Keep watching Marvel Studios, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. New episodes every Thursday. Episode five now available. Yeah, watch that episode. It's so good. Watch it. You're gritting your teeth so hard. You had so much coffee. I think you're going to explode. It's great. You're welcome, world. Also, world, you're welcome because Marvel's New York Comic Con panel lineup is here. We're kicking it off very strong for the con on Thursday, October 6th through Sunday, October 9th. Of course, we'll be New York Comic Con, the greatest con because it's our home con. I'm partial anyway. But Thursday... 
we are kicking off the panel schedule, 1.45 p.m. Eastern Time in room 401. It's Captain America Cold War, a This Week in Marvel special event. It's hosted by these yahoos, me and Ryan. <laughs> and we are going to have some folks talking about all of the wonderful Captain America goodness going on in publishing and beyond, including Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, who are working on Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, Tochi Onyabuchi from Captain America Symbol of Truth, and our favorite star-spangled comic book editor, Alana Smith. Maybe even some more folks. We'll see as we get closer to the con, but very excited to kick it all off. But there are many more panels happening there at the con. Ryan, what we got? Yeah, of course. On Friday, we've got two panels coming up for you. The Marvel Comics Marvel Fanfare panel with C.B. Sobolski, which is a cool discussion Q&A session about all kinds of things, favorite moments, and fans will have to stay till the end because there will be an exclusive giveaway for the Marvel Fanfare panel. Also, I want to say, I'm going to bring up buttload of stuff to give away at our This Week in Marvel panel. Oh, yeah. All the butts. A full buttload. A full buttload. I have so much stuff uh, that's ready to go, so hold on to your hats. Yeah, get ready for that. Also, on Friday at 6 p.m., there's the Marvel Books of Future Past panel, which is really cool. It's a panel we're going to be talking about graphic novels to museum-quality archival editions, some really cool books all across our various partners' publishing lines. And I'm hosting that one. And it's going to be really fun. It's going to be me and folks from various different places from maybe IDW, Abrams, Marvel's Licensed Publishing, and Folio Society and Penguin Classics and really cool places. I have a full set of like Penguin Classics books mm -hmm. that I was planning on bringing to New York Comic Con. Maybe I'll find a place to give them away. We'll Ooh. see. But yeah, so Friday is great as well. And then we get into Saturday. Yeah. Saturday's got Marvel's Voices, The World Outside Your Window going on, hosted by our pal Angelique Rocher, who hosts the podcast itself. Also going to have on some great guests talking about all kinds of different stories from different corners of the Marvel Universe, including Eve L. Ewing, John Jennings, Cody Ziegler, Sarah Brunstead, who's an editor here at Marvel, some awesome creators and folks talking about the world outside your window. Also on Saturday is going to be Marvel Comics' next big thing. You guys know it. You love it. We got Marvel bigwigs Nick Lowe and C.B. Sobolski, who are going to be talking with some legends like Jerry Duggan, current X-Writer. We love him. And then there's going to be Jed McKay, who working on Black Cat, Zeb Wells from Amazing Spider-Man. And this is always really fun to see what's next for Marvel. So definitely look up that panel coming on Saturday and then Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, we always close it out strong with Women of Marvel. This is one of my favorite panels of all time. You know, Angelique's going to be there uh, along with Ellie Pyle, who both hosts the podcast. Eval Ewing is also going to be there. Lauren Bissum, who works on a bunch of our books and things. It's going to be such a blast. I'm really excited for this. We're, we're talking about all the fun stuff we're going to do. So more on that soon. Yeah. And then over on Sunday, it's the Women of Marvel panel, which I will be hey. hosting as one of the Women nope, of Marvel. Ryan. What? Sorry. I. It's nothing personal, but as you do not identify huh? in any way as a woman. Wait. Um, oh, you're right. Fine. But of course, this is just a slice of what's going on. We love all of the panels, but of course, we're going to have the Marvel booth holding it down. Number 2057, if you're looking for the aisle, we're going to have signings and giveaways and a live stream broadcast going on. 
So check all of that out and more. Plus, you got to visit the Marvel Merch booth. That's going to be, again, in its own location, but right nearby at 2261. And you're going to be able to check out all kinds of NYCC merch, Marvel Unlimited subscription offers, and more. And of course, look out for that live stream. We love to see it. You're going to see a lot of Ryan on it. I have no doubt he's unstoppable. I cannot be stopped. Keep an eye and ear peeled. And now moving on with some magic to Scarlet Witch number one, which is newly announced. It's going to be written by Steve Orlando from Marauders, penciled by Sarah Pichelli, who is just one of the greatest Spider-Man mm-hmm. pencilers of all time. Beautiful cover by Russell Dodderman. And this is the return of the Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff. That's coming in January. She's hit rock bottom, you know, a couple of times. She's had some bad days. And when she does, sure, she rips apart the universe and ruins everybody's lives. But you know what? It happens sometimes. But now she's finally found some peace. She's pledged all her power to help others. And then a woman falls through Wanda's door with the terrifying story of a town gone mad. And Scarlet Witch will have to muster her wits and chaos magic to deal with the threat. Very excited for some more Scarlet Witch. Heck yeah, that's going to be really, really cool. Also announced this week is Timeless number one that will give a shocking look at the Marvel Universe to come in 2023. It's got this really gorgeous cover by Kale New of Kang, and he's got like tattered and he's on his knees and the time is breaking around him. There's also a Miss Minutes variant cover, which is just a delight. Love that. Super cute. This is the last battle of Kang the Conqueror, tyrant of the timeline, master of endless legions, warrior and conqueror without compare. Kang is in search of the one thing he cannot have, but he is not the only one. Dairy. (laughs) Oh, poor lactose intolerant Kang. But he is not the only one after the missing moment. And Kang soon finds himself in a new position on the run across the events of the Marvel Universe's future, which is super cool. It's written by Jed McKay, who's been doing bang up work on so many projects. Art by Salvador LaRocca, Greg Land, Patch Zercher. I am very much looking forward to this. There's lots of little hints and teases in the cover art, which you can find on Marvel.com. And that is coming out in December. Moving on, we have more comic goodness because Infinity Comics, our favorite scrolling comics, are one year old. They're celebrating their one year anniversary and the Marvel Unlimited app is celebrating its exclusive Infinity Comics lineup. Last year marked the debut of, as I mentioned, those vertical scrolling comics with some of Marvel's top creators, including Jonathan Hickman, Kelly Thompson, Al Ewing, Jerry Duggan, Alyssa Wong, and more. But the real question is, have you gone over to Marvel Unlimited yet and tried it out. It's so good. It's your all-access pass to over 30,000 Marvel comics at your fingertips. Start your seven-day free trial or sign up with plans as low as $9.99 a month. You can learn more at marvel.com slash unlimited. We are obsessed with Marvel Unlimited. Plus, that's the only place you can get these Infinity Comics. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Some of them are very serious. But obviously, I'm obsessed with It's Jeff, everybody's favorite little land shark. I love Alligator Loki. Oh, I love- Spider-Bot was so good. Spider-Bot. I mean, but also like X-Men Unlimited and oh, man. Spider-Verse. There's some great stuff out there. And they're super fast, fun reads. I highly recommend them. Yeah, so good. And like the cost of it to to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited is the cost of probably like two, maybe three comics. Yeah. And you could have 30,000. Yes. And there's new comics all the time. 
Come on. Go to marvel.com slash unlimited if you're not a member. Now, maybe, maybe you've been waiting for some swag to go along with your membership. How about the new Marvel Unlimited Plus kit? Just announced recently, it has a limited edition Hasbro Marvel Legends Daredevil figure not available anywhere else, and he's in his red and yellow suit, and it's really cool. You get a Peach Momoko variant comic edition of Acts Eve of Judgment number one, which looks so gorgeous. Peach doing amazing work. You get a Daredevil litho by Romy Jones. You get a Captain America Sam Wilson shield patch. You get a classic Daredevil by Scotty Young pin. All of that coming in the box. Plus, you get extended digital benefits like 10% off Marvel merchandise and more at shopdisney.com. Plus, exclusive invites and access to select Marvel events. If you're a big fan of She-Hulk, of course, She-Hulk is part of that Daredevil print. And the box, even you're going to want to keep the box because the box with all your swag comes in is themed with She-Hulk on it as well. It looks really, really cool. You get all that plus your subscription to Marvel Unlimited for $99 for your first year. You get that Marvel Unlimited Plus tier. You get additional perks, collectibles, all of that. Go to marvel.com slash unlimited. Sign up. Get that plus member kit. Honestly, if you listen to this podcast and you haven't signed up for Marvel Unlimited yet, I feel like we have failed you. Not even like us. It's just so good. There's nothing like being able to sit down and say, I want to read all of the Avengers comics. And you're like, I could pretty much sit down and read like 600 comics, more or less. It's all in your hands. And while we're talking about the goodness of comics, let's celebrate some letterer appreciation. September 1st was Letterer Appreciation Day. If you're not familiar with what that is, every single little bit of text in your comics has to be written (laughs) out artistically by a human being. It is not just like typing at a computer, which is why when Thor has that kind of like old English looking language or Venom talks in like creepy language, it looks drippy. But somebody sits down and does that. And we have been putting up articles a couple times a week that feature different letterers that we are celebrating over on marvel.com. They're great articles. It's super interesting. And if you're interested in the process of making comics or you love comics, I highly recommend checking them out. They're super fun. There's a lot that goes into it, as Lorraine said. So celebrate them. All right, something else to celebrate is a brand new HasLab coming from Hasbro. Now, you know Hasbro has been doing these HasLab projects for the last couple of years. We got a Sentinel, Galactus. These are sort of crowdfunded projects. If enough people support it and buy it, then they'll make it. And so you got to get in there and you got to throw your money at it and say, give me this cool thing. And, you know, we do this for Marvel Legends. So we have our Marvel Legends Sentinel, Marvel Legends Galactus. And going out today, the day of our episode is going out, they are going to announce the brand new one. We're not going to reveal it here because we go out a lot earlier than them, but we'll talk about this next week. But the tease for it said, fire up your engines, Marvel Legends fans. We are coming in hot for a special fan stream to kick off the newest Marvel Legends HasLab. They're going to reveal their hottest HasLab campaign yet. Hot, hot, hot. And of course, if you are listening to this super early in the morning, you can tune in at 11 a.m. Eastern time at youtube.com slash Hasbro Pulse. And of course, I'm sure that they'll keep it up after the actual live stream. So again, you can go to youtube.com slash Hasbro Pulse and catch up on what you missed. Yeah, and these generally run for several weeks, so we'll be talking about it soon. All right, Ryan, I know that this will make you happy. Doom is getting his day. Marvel's Wastelanders Doom has now been announced. It's Marvel Entertainment and Sirius XM's 
fifth and latest installment of the multi-part audio epic scripted podcast, Marvel's Wastelanders. And this is a weekly 10-episode series. It's co-written by comic book all-star Mark Wade and James Kim, directed by Jade King Carroll, and has original sound design and music by Mark Henry Phillips. And the series stars Dylan Baker reprising his role from Marvel's Wastelanders Star-Lord as Doctor Doom, and it features performances by Danny Burstein as the Hulk, Keith David as Kingpin, yes. John Hawks as Claw, Kristen Johnson as She-Hulk, Elijah Jones as Johnny Claymore, Rebecca Naomi Jones as Valeria, Hamish Linkletter as Sandman, Nadine Malouf as Cora, and Luke Kirby as Maximus, a really great cast. And if you haven't caught up with this series yet, this is the perfect time to go back and listen to the first four <laughs> series. They're all phenomenal. And of course, these take place in a sort of dystopian future. It's 30 years after the imprisonment of Dr. Doom, who has freed himself. And now he's seeking revenge on the former allies who betrayed him on the day the villains won. So to achieve this, he teams up with Valeria Richards, the daughter of his most hated enemy. You know those fantastic folks. And uh, whose side is she really going to be on? I don't know. You're going to have to listen. In fact, why don't we listen to a trailer of it right now? Doom? Doom sent you? I thought he was long gone. Dr. Doom? Haven't you been following the news? He's dead. Doom is very much alive. Who the hell are you? Victor Von Doom's heir. Valeria Richards. Valeria. That isn't possible. Everyone thought you were dead, Doom. But not you. You're the only family I've got. What do you do that makes you need a hired gun? Locate dangerous objects, keep them out of the hands of idiots. The majority of your relics are that of your family, the Fantastic Four. What are you doing? Getting the truth out of him. He wants me to help him do something, or obtain something, and he won't tell me what. Right. Given his history, it'll be something awful. It is not just about power. It is about a new beginning. And what if people don't want your brand of order? People don't know what they want. They have to be told what is good for them. People require a clarity of purpose. And I, Doom, am the only one who can provide it. What is our next task, Lord Doom? To seek vengeance. All right, there you go. Chapter one, a superhero walks into a bar. And chapter two, a Fantastic Four is now available to subscribers on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcast Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Marvel Podcast Unlimited for exclusive bonus content and to hear episodes one week early. Chapter one is also available on all major podcast platforms in the US now. These villains making bad decisions. One, you go against Wolverine. That's going to bite you in the butt. But then you turn on Doom. Oh, you fools. You, you fools. It may <laughs> take 30 years, but up. you fools. <laughs> you done messed up indeed. But something you wouldn't be messing up is listening to Marvel's Pull List podcast because that's the other show that I co-host for Marvel. And we give you exclusive previews and details on all the latest Marvel comics this week. Our favorite books that were released, our picks of the week are Amazing Spider-Man number nine, Axe Judgment Day number four. X-Men Red, number six, which continues to be like my favorite comic. Oh, my God. There's some Storm and Magneto stuff in this issue that I just want to throw my computer at the wall because it's so good. That would be a bad idea. Don't do that. 
Anyway, and then we also, for our reading club, where we dive into a story with a creator or someone else involved uh, or some great fan, this week we have writer-artist Ken Yamura, who joins us to talk about his Spider-Verse Unlimited Penny Parker Infinity Comics. You can read all, I think it's like eight parts of that story over on Marvel Unlimited, and they're really great. They're super fun, but with big heart. So we talked to Ken about making those and so much more. You can listen on SiriusXM, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Also a shout out for one more podcast, Marvel's Voices. The theme of season six is Marvel, a window to our world focused on the global influences of the Marvel Universe and how nationality of writers and artists working for Marvel has expanded, leading to a more cultural influence within the Marvel Universe. Of course, hosted by our pal Angelique Rocher. You can listen to that on the SiriusXM app, Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And this episode is episode four. And and Angelique Rocher is talking all about Marvel's fiction podcast. So you'll get to hear from Alejandro Lopez, who directed Marvel's Wolverine, La Larga Noche, which is the Spanish edition of Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night. And it's not as simple as you might think, just translating all those words, because you have to kind of like retell the story in an interesting way. So definitely listen to that. Plus, you get to hear from James Kim, co-writer of the aforementioned Marvel's Wastelanders Doom series that we were just talking about. So more good stuff there. Go and check out Marvel's Voices wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into some more talking with our friend, Kieran Gillen. <laughs> Kieran Gillen, writer, sweet boy. The best. Just shining star of the British Isles. Why is he so good at writing? It's so rude. I know. It's so very rude. We reap the benefits, so it's okay. So Kieran came on again. He's been on the show a couple times now. This time he came on because we were about halfway through Axe Judgment Day, the big summer crossover event for Marvel Comics. So we wanted to talk to Kieran about like how you write a crossover event, especially with so many different characters, so many different parts, so many different elements, especially like, you know, three of the biggest teams in the Marvel Universe yeah. with Avengers, X-Men and Eternals. Right. If you're not reading this event or you're not keyed into this yet, Axe stands for Avengers, X-Men, Eternals. It's not just like choppy choppy. It's three huge teams. Just an insanely epic story. It is Judgment Day. You know, as Ryan said, people are in trouble. <laughs> and Kieran is having way too much fun breaking his own toys. And creating stuff like Uranus, who is the grand uncle of Thanos, who is kind of worse than Thanos and like creating a character who is just absolutely horrifying and murdering everybody. Why don't we listen to an interview with Kieran Gillen right now? Hello, Kieran. It's lovely to be here. Kieran, you've been on the show before. We've done a bunch of stuff together. But for our listeners who may have not heard you before, we'd love to hear your Marvel origin story again. How'd you first experience the Marvel characters? I thought I first got a bunch of Marvel stuff there, um, the British reprints, because they basically reprinted uh, current 1980 stuff, because I'm that old, with 1970s stuff and 1960 stuff as well. So it's kind of like, you know, you'd have the 1960s X-Men next to 1970s Machine Man next to Secret Wars. That's not the combination, but it was that kind of thing, as in like, it was seemed to be quite random. So you got this really random selection of all the Marvel Universe. And you got very random occasional issues, like... Um, just occasional one-off American issues you found in shops. Literally the first Uncanny X-Men I ever read was, I think, 155, which is a deeply weird Magneto Xavier story about stealing gold. And it's got all this Holocaust imagery and it's utterly petrifying for a seven-year-old. 
I've been, I'm doing a complete uncanny read at the moment, and I hit this issue, and I haven't read it since then, and it was suddenly like a hole in my head going, oh no, I read that way early. There's no way this eight-year-old, whatever I was then, should have read this comic, because <laughs> it's, it's actively <laughs> disturbing in dozens of ways, uh, but also really interesting. So beyond being not entirely traumatized by <laughs> your early comic book experience, how did you get into making your own comics? Well, I, so I read comics as a kid, like very casually, and then as a teenager I stopped. Then I kind of got into it hard. Like I got to watch when I was 21, started hanging out on various web forums, and I went to my first con, and then I wrote my first script when I came back that night, and then found an artist, did con in a year's time. I managed to get like a... But enough artists to do an all A5 photocopied zine. And then I was basically off. It was all kind of doing small press, like um, small press work. I did like some web comics, did photo comics. And eventually I met my partner in crime, Jamie McKelvey. And we ended up doing um, almost five years of an editorial comic for a PlayStation magazine. Huh. That was our earliest collaboration. It was doing small work and it just got bigger and bigger. And just that carried on when it hit Marvel. It was that kind of every bit of work I did was the calling card to the next. Because when you start in the small press, it's like, here's this five-page comic I've somehow talked one person to doing. And you got it out, and people are like, oh, right, that's pretty good. We should do something sometime. But then you do that, and it builds, and it got to the point where you build bigger collaborations. And at Marvel, it's like, you know, here's an eight-page Dazzler story. Great, people didn't hate it. Do you want to do this uh, 30-page Sabretooth story? Great, people didn't hate it. Do you want to do Sword? You know, and the jobs got bigger as I proved <laughs> I wasn't a complete mess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get a little bit into uh, what's going on with you right now, shall we? You are set to destroy all of the toys of everyone at Marvel. <laughs> but we have the first three issues of Axe Judgment Day out in the world at the time we're chatting. For anybody who just hasn't gotten a chance to read the story so far, what is the premise of what's happening with Axe? Well, it's kind of like a big three act thing. And like the first act, which was basically ended at the second issue, is there's a big Eternals versus X Men war. This is because the Eternals have been taken over by a complete plonker called Druig. Uh, <laughs> considerably <laughs> less uh, nice than the MCU version, shall we say. Anyway, this has led to a big war. At the same time, the mutants have revealed their secret. They've basically got eternal life and they've been hiding it from everybody. And of course, this makes humans pretty miffed out of, you know, um, <laughs> basic jealousy of not dying, I guess. And I can understand that one. So this whole situation leads to this war. In a desperate attempt to stop the war, Tony Stark, Ajak and Mr. Sinister of all people <laughs> get together to try to resurrect a celestial to tell the Eternals to stop. This plan works. Stopping the war. Hooray. Unfortunately, the celestial has been kind of made in the humanity's image and now is going to judge the entire Earth. The entire planet will be judged and justified. And if it's more good than wicked, uh, we live. And if it's more wicked than good, we all die. As in, it's a kind of like a, an all-in, all-out situation. And that's where the story is. And episode three is that everyone going, yeah, yeah, let's not do this. Because, <laughs> you know, they're Marvel here. <laughs> you know, they're Marvel heroes. It's like, no, we're not, we're not going to do it because you say so. Uh, and by the end of the episode, they kind of realise, oh, no, we're going to have to do this. <laughs> and sets the scene for everything exploding. <laughs> the world's worst group project where you're all being created as one. I know, honestly. It's that kind of, I don't want to be stuck. I mean, do you want to know, like, I mean, the core inspiration for Judgment I mean, there's a lot of things in here. But at least part of it is just me thinking about climate change, you know. It's that kind of like, we are being graded as a species, not as individuals. You know, let's dramatise that, shall we? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing. Look outside. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's pretty bleak. Yeah, it's very real. Thankfully, you can you can dress it up with amazing scenes and moments. There's a, I think it's an issue two. I cracked up. I, I keep thinking about it. There's a long vertical panel 
of Sinister and some of the Sinister clones <laughs> doing some work. And the Sinister clones are wearing overalls. And I just... I lose it every time I think about that panel. I love, honestly, Sinister's like, he's a supervillain, but there's a degree of style there. He never had to give them little cute uniforms, yet he did. Bless him. <laughs> but, you know, but it's the fun of Marvel. It's like, you know, you, you can get these sort of ideas and then you just turn into something completely different. You know what I mean? And it's the way it makes it bearable and entertaining because uh, this isn't, a, you know, Lars von Trier movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you talked about the, the climate change inspiration of it, but what about on the Marvel side of things? Obviously, you know, you've been writing Eternals for a while. You've been doing some X-Men work of late and the Avengers have been living in the, the dead husk of a celestial for the last four years. How did the idea for the story come together from from a Marvel perspective? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely that kind of that's the core of it. As I just looked at the situation and thought, OK, I can very easily see conflict here. I mean, I was originally planning a sort of a smaller Eternals uh, X-Men thing in Immortal X-Men. You know, that was kind of when the secret of deviancy comes out and all that. But that quiet little confrontation became much bigger when um, uh, Tom dropped me a line saying, have you got an idea for a crossover? And it's like, well, I, I guess I do. Um, I mean, for me, it was like, as a reader, what frustrates me about crossovers is when they don't really come out of anywhere. And for this, for me, it was like, okay, I want to sit down and look at what we've got here and how can we bring these toys together? And that's kind of the point of it. So a very logical thing. But also, the same, you talk about the Marvel inspiration, it's not just like the situation. It's not just like knowing that these characters have lied to each other and they've got secrets and all that's really meaty, which of course is absolutely the story. It's also look, me looking at like, what events did I love? You know, what stuff really moved me? What's ways to sort of take this and make it new? Like I mentioned, you know, obviously I said climate change, but it's also the original Secret Wars, you know? You've got like this all-powerful being giving a very, you know, kill everybody and you have what you want. And that's clean. You know, like lots of people have very different opinions, but when I reread the original Secret Wars, it's like, you get what's going on. And then I found something about like Stalin stuff, like Infinity Gauntlet was probably the first, apart from Secret Wars, probably the first Marvel event I read. And what Infinity Gauntlet, that kind of, what Stalin does with philosophy, you know, and how it really, you know, his ideas going on, that kind of stuff. Like, how could I create a, a question to ask the Marvel Universe I wanted to see answered? You know what I mean? So that's what you're always looking at, like what moved you as a creator? And then hopefully, how can I move other people by doing it in a different way? Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because we're all like thinking a lot more about Secret Wars in mm. recent days. But I do love that. And it's like all kind of comes back to, I don't know, early gladiator fighting in some <laughs> way almost. But, you know, you mentioned earlier that this Druig is a little bit more sinister than what we've seen in like Marvel Studios Eternals. And I always think it's really interesting because you've been writing Eternals for a while now, but the Eternals have really evolved since the early days of their first appearances. What's that feedback loop for you, like, as a writer? You know, you see a film, like, how much of it do you kind of want to, like, bring into the comic versus, like, you really want to leave the comics in their own world? I mean, like, in the case of the Eternals, they're like, what I like to do is just be welcoming, you know, like, because there are... A more marginal Marvel character. You know, it's not like there's been eternal books every day since the 1970s. They're characters people may not know as well. So how can I choose them? Both the people who love the Eternals and people who are dismissive of the Eternals and also people who just came in from the movies and want to see some stuff. So like, I did some really basic stuff. It was like, I could see absolutely no reason not to match um, physical appearances for the characters because the Eternals, they're Eternals. They're, they're, there's very few characters whose gender or race matters because, A, they're not human for a start. <laughs> but, you know, like, then <laughs> there's no reason not to be welcoming. And I really like the idea of them just changing form occasionally. There's something about these Eternal beings. I mean, there's a, there's a line Icarus says in the first issue. But yeah, we do it fairly often, like 20,000 years or so. And, okay, for me, that's <laughs> funny. But, you know, but it's also like, it says who, who they are. 
There's a line in issue three, was it, when Ajax says, I don't trust any technology, uh, you know, newer than 40,000 years. <laughs> you know, that, you know <laughs> that, 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 this is part of, part of me trying to do Eternals. Like, okay, what do I like about them? A lot of it is they're a bit weird. And I think various other people who've written the Eternals have tried to sand off those edges. And I've tried to make them weirder. More, almost more inhuman. <laughs> uh, you know, when you got stuff like the, the the Robocop type principles they're driven by, you get, you know what I mean? There's something like um, agreeably off about that. And I find that when you actually increase the difference, you kind of use it as a device to heighten things that make them human. As in, we're not like that, but we can imagine the horror of being like that. And of course, all of us feel trapped in our lives in some ways, but the Eternals really are trapped. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. As in, you can use these in slightly more inhuman things to speak about our condition in a more, you know, a bigger way. And a lot of the Eternals, like, I wanted to basically try to pay homage to all the stuff that's been done before. Like, there's few enough Eternal comics that you can read them all. And I thought, can I make this into a single tapestry? Take all these various retcons or, or twists and things that don't make sense in any way because they're different writers pushing and make them in a tapestry. Turning continuity into mythology is the way I tend to sort of describe it to people. And I kind of hope like when you get to sort of where my tunnels has, has ended up by now, it's like, oh, right, yeah, it's, it's all about this weird civil war that led to the birth of Thanos and all that kind of stuff. You know, this feels for me, I mean, I'm sure your listeners will disagree or tell me otherwise, but like, let's try to make it coherent and, and a, a love song in that way. So I, I, I really love writing them, shall we say. I love that. Yeah. I can tell the, the love that's in there and it's, it's interesting too, because you have taken immovable characters and found a way to move them in a way that doesn't feel out of place, which I think is, is a very remarkable thing for our superheroes. Thank you. I mean, the theme is, can we change? Can humans change is what I'm really asking. But like the Eternals make that a much more difficult thing. And that kind of, that, that the forces of stasis versus progress. Progress is a loaded word, but ability to have serious conversations with yourself. The, the good Eternals for me are like, are born of that, this just ain't right, this can't go on. We've got to find another way. I'm a big fan of, like, heroes being weaker than the things they fight. That's why they're heroes. And there's various other people who disagree with that, and there's lots of different ideas of heroism. But for me, like, that, that bit of Tolkien, that bit of Spider-Man standing up to Galactus or whatever, you know? The point is, the fight is bigger than you, but you don't back down anyway. And that's kind of, um, whether that's philosophy or fighting, that's the same thing for me. On the flip side of that, though... I got to ask you, we got to talk about Uranus, Uranus, however we pronounce him, because, you know, we've got this heroism and then you've fully developed the nightmare of all nightmares, a character I, I now love. And is obviously you talk about the tapestry and finding ways to to build around stuff. And you're not like taking stuff that necessarily wasn't fully there, but giving it a role and a presence and then mm. showing how horrifying it is. Kieran, what's broken inside of you? <laughs> I, I, love, <laughs> I definitely don't know this is a bad thing but i'm aware my work's really catholic right now there's all manner of like my my, my being raised religious in, in a certain way it's there's all manners of interrogations about guilt and sin and redemption but i mean uranus was the um it's almost asimovian you know what i mean let's take the principles and interpret them and what's the worst possible interpretation of the principles <laughs> and he's he's basically looked at those three rules i created and go okay it's important we kill everything else in existence <laughs> and use it to make earth bigger into a spaceship logically that's what we should be doing and that's a bit of if you're talking about the worst kind of religion in terms of like taking fundamentalist interpretations to a level which the religion is not in, doesn't support in any real way you're is kind of the embodiment of that he's the embodiment of everything that's awful i wanted to have a psych a philosophical weight 
And that did come from just looking at it. So it's like, I mean, obviously he's a pre-existing character. He's mentioned in a handful of stories. Um, but if you look at those stories and yeah. take them seriously, it's like, no, no, this guy was a big deal. He, this guy was one of the most important, you know, he's Thanos, he's, you know, potentially grand uncle. You know, this is a big dude. So if you start thinking in those terms and you think, okay, who is this guy then? And how can we write him? I mean, I, we set him up, but it's, you know, Al Ewing's the person who really took him on the stage. For me, it's one of the joys about Marvel writing and, and drawing, as in different people came together to make the character work. Like, I sat down and had a think about him. You know, I wanted the idea of a flip of Thanos, really. As in, you know, Thanos is passionate. He's a guy who, I'm going to set fire to the universe to try to seduce the woman. You know, he's got that to him. Whilst Jonas is the opposite. He is someone vaguely disappointed and disgusted and sad. It's like my entire family of disappointments. And then, of course, Ryan, then, you know, Ryan did this amazing design of him. You know, it's creepy. He's got the creepiness and the crack face and the smoke. He's awful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... Awful in the best way, though. Yeah. And one of my favourite things, I mean, about... I mean, it's funny to talk about it, one of my favourite things. But, like, what I like, you know, Druig is a small man. One of my readers described it as, like, he's the dog who's finally caught up with the car. Now he's got no idea what to do with it. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, it's like, oh, my God, what do I do now? And you've got Uranus, who is genuinely a bad guy. Druig is obviously a bad guy, but Uranus is a bad guy on a whole different level. And this minor villain has chosen to release something much worse. That's interesting to think about as well. It's not just really simple sides. You've got different characters on each side. Like Exodus feels very differently to Jean Grey. You know, um, Cap and Tony approaching the problem from different ways. You know, like making it a character drama at the same time as it's everything's exploding. And for me, that, that's the, the heart of an mm-hmm. event. It's a fascinating writing problem. Well, it brings up a great point, which is like, there are just so many characters, you know, you're writing various teams, and then all of those teams have their own characters and worlds and things that are happening. What is the key to writing such an epic that's just got so many characters to track and all have plots and character development and all of that stuff? Uh, well, exhausting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the big thing is it's the through line. It's like, okay, this is the story. Who are we following? Who is going to be our viewpoints? Who are the people who best articulate the themes? And then also, who goes in the tie-ins? So whose stories can be pushed here? And then also, how to explain this stuff? Because think with basically taking, you know, the Avengers and the Eternals and the X-Men, all these have complicated stories. Even something like um, Araco, which is, you know, the Martian colony of the X-Men. That's not something known to the Avengers or Eternals readers necessarily, you know? So you've got to introduce a whole new concept. That's one of the reasons why a lot of the Arakos in the tie-in, it's important to the, you know, for the main thrust because it has to be dealt with as a story thing. But it's like, no, no, let's save that for the X-Men books because they're the people who really care about Arako. And then when the Arako stuff comes back into the main plot, which of course it does, <laughs> you know, it, it becomes important in the relevant bits. And you know what I mean? Like, choose the through line. What needs to be in the main book? What can be elsewhere? I mean, stuff like characters like Icarus and Fastos or Fina, their main plots are kind of in the um, Death of the Mutants. Or people like um, like Emma Frost or uh, actually Sebastian Shaw gets some big stuff. Destiny gets some big stuff in the Immortal X-Men issues. You know what I mean? Like, it's just editing. And then you end up sort of trying to work out where and earth everything. I mean, it's a joke. Like, like, there's 36 things in this crossover and I've written 18 of them. And it's like, what, what on earth is wrong with me? It's like, I, I genuinely did try to write the event. Uh, <laughs> This coming from someone who, you know, you had gone away from Marvel for a little bit, done a a bunch of other amazing things, and we coaxed you back with whatever we were able to do to get your amazing magic, and now you're writing half of an entire summer blockbuster event, so just thanks. Thank you. you. I genuinely 
you know, I'd never done an event. And obviously a lot of my peers have. And part of me didn't want to do it. It looked really hard work and tiring. <laughs> so I just found myself thinking, oh, you should get, give it a shot. It could be fun. And to be honest, it has been. It's been a lot of work. And with as many issues I wrote, it's been more work than I planned. But at the same time, the basic process, I'm working with some literally the best artists in the business. The pages come back and they're beautiful. You know, I wrote the entire Marvel Universe for a summer. That's weird. But it's also like a real privilege. I feel very lucky to have done it. I mean, I do laugh. I mean, when I pitched this to the room, I don't remember Hickman's exact words, but I remember his chuckle. You know, it was meant to be five issues originally or something like that. And he said, ah, yes, Kit, you've written three times as much as you should have, as usual. But don't worry, you're productive. You, you can... And it's that kind of like, yeah, <laughs> he, he is absolutely right. I mean, I do laugh. It's like the, the three specials happen between issue five and six of the apex of that, <laughs> where I go into an entire <laughs> subplot. But I think that's my favourite thing about it. I really think that if you're just following your tie-ins and the stuff you like, it still makes sense. If you do the, just the main book, it works just by get the six main issues. But the more you add, the better it, or not better it gets, the more stuff you find, the more stuff it rewards you. And I'm very into the idea of crossovers being not punitive, but, you know, positive. The idea that, you know, you want to know more. It's not that I'm forcing you to do this. You want to know what happens to Ajax when this happens. Actually, issue three is out by now, as you say. um, You know, when Star Fox enters the plot, what's he going to do? You know, they're positive things, but I'm not going to punish you if you don't read them either. I really believe in playing fair with a reader like that. Yeah, I feel like... I sometimes am working in a comic shop when, when I start talking about an event book or particularly with acts, it's, you know, they'll be like, all right, so what should I read? Like, what's a book you're interested in, but you haven't checked out. And then they'll be like, all right, what else? You know? And I'm like, okay, great. So you got to read number two that's coming out, but then, oh, death to the mutants. This is really cool. And then like, there's a the shot of Icarus and he's got his hand up and he's like, I have an idea. And it's <laughs> hilarious. I cracked up I love that like too. that bit. And then you mentioned X-Men Red, X-Men Red 5. I was like, oh, this is a horror show. It's going to destroy <laughs> you. Check this out. Or like, oh, you got to read the prelude issue. Oh, also make sure you're reading Immortal X-Men because Exodus, this was like the time I've, I've never like fully gotten Exodus before. And I was like, this rules. And like, I start pulling all these books. I feel like I'm a pusher. And that's the glory of these stories. Like you were just talking about, you can just read the main book, but when you start exploring everything around it, there's so many moments that you see that you may have missed it's a whole lot of fun um you mentioned some destiny stuff what other in immortal x-men are you just doing like each issue spotlighting a specific character to some degree basically every issue has a narrator and rotating the narrator among the quiet council so like when i hit issue 12 i've done them all but at the same time it's not just about them issue four is about emma but like it's not as tightly focused on Emma as issue five is with Exodus or issue three with Destiny. It's that kind of, okay, we've got a story with telling. <laughs> uh, so we're going to have to tell the story. Especially with the Axe tie-ins, like uh, issue six was sure. The, the opening, we do the whole, the X-Men's perspective on what happens on issue three. So the whole setup on the attack on the progenitor. So, you know, you get a little bit of that in the Axe, but you get it in a lot more detail as what Destiny tried to do. And then you see how that goes. And then the rest of the issue is sure, picking up from the aftermath of that plan not particularly going well. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and then you get you get a deep dive into Shaw's perspective. And of course, I chose him because Shaw is a person who is useful for that part of the plot. Like in issue five, Exodus is good because he's going to go and fight some people. But we also get a chance to really introduce that guy via the psychic visions. Issue uh, six, the X-Men are going to have to go and start making deals. They've realised they can't punch it. They've got to send a businessman out to do some stuff. So you get Shaw doing Shawy things. You know what I mean? So it's always chosen, like, who's the most interesting of the Immortal X-Men to see this issue through. And also kind of hopefully show why we care about them. For me, I was pitching, okay, this is why I think this guy's cool. It's like Captain America if he slept a thousand years and was a really weird crusader before he started. 
And he's got this whole weird religion he's made up. And this is why Destiny's cool. I've said that I would abandon this high concept the second it got in the way. But by this point, I'm like, oh, no, I, I, I can stick with this. I know what the last two are. Uh, and then I'll work on what I'm going to do next. It's so interesting to see how everything ties in. And, you know, obviously you're working on a lot of books and we've talked a lot about your <laughs> your cohort, Jamie McKelvey. But, of course, you're getting to work with Valerio Schiti and Marta Gracia on this book. And they're just like full guitar soloing this these issues. Like, I can't believe how much work goes into these beautiful packed pages with a million characters. What is it like working with Valerio and Marte on the book? And and do you ever feel bad just being like, here's 50 characters to draw? Very much, honestly, like, this is, I mean, Valerio and Marte are like the two astounding artists. I, I've loved Valerio since... I did Journey to Mystery, and when I left Journey to Mystery, he was the artist in the next run that picked up after me. And I, I was aware of him then. I was like, oh, this person's great. And he's got better every single page, which is astounding anyway. But, like, I think Axis is, is his greatest work so far. But it's not just the fact it's good. It's not the fact it's stylish. It's not the fact that he's got really great character designs, like the Hex, for example. Like, if the Hex weren't that good a design, this story would fall apart. When he sent me back the designs, I was like, oh, right, we're fine. It was very much, oh, I can see this on the big screen. You know what I mean? Like, these are proper event monsters. And it's not even the fact that, you know, he draws fight scenes much bigger than I ask for. <laughs> you know, like, sorry, I don't say draw 50X-Men all the time. And he just he just draws 50X-Men. It's like, stop it. You're going to kill wow. yourself. But it is the thing that makes it work, though. Because it's, it's a very compressed story. You know, I'm really cutting this to the bone to make it very tight. And I'm using every trick I can to make things motor. Like, the narrator, for example, is a device that allows us to move quicker. But um, with the Valerio, with his density of panels, it means it doesn't feel as compressed. That's ironic, because there's more meaning in each panel. Therefore, you read each panel slower. Therefore, you're experiencing the comic like this. So it all works really well together. The other thing about Valerio is he does his impossible stuff, but he draws amazing, like, you know, out of shape dads having breakfast as well. And that was for me, you know, like <laughs> that was the most important. Because for me, what I love about Marvel is the world outside your window of it. The idea that I could be sitting here and see Spider-Man fly past. For me, it's not the Marvel Universe unless someone's having a slice of pizza at some point, you know? So, like, that was sort of part of the reason why we do these crowd scenes. You know, we, we have the the Greek chorus of people uh, commenting and watching and going through it. This isn't just superheroes fighting. This is Earth. And these people being judged on us, you know? And Valeria makes them as real as Captain America or the Celestial. Since he does them all so brilliantly, it makes it all kind of feel coherent. It's like a symphony. He's doing astounding work. And Marte, of course, is um, really it's turning up the budget. You know, it's like every shot is just more dramatic. He looks at what is colour, what is meaning, what is what, what needs to be astounding. I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> As are we all. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, in terms of having so many characters, so many things, every, you know, Valerio's bringing in even more. Are there any characters in the core series that you'd not written previously? Almost certain. I mean, like... um there's a montage in issue four of people being judged, which is like, that's what chance me to check a few more off the list. Um, I tell you, I realised recently J. Jonah Jameson is not somebody I've written. Uh, I think most other people have done for at least a panel somewhere. Mm. But J. Jonah Jameson is the big one. And I must admit, one of the next things I'm writing for you guys has him in it as a cameo. <laughs> so I've got him nice. off the list too. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> Are you just constantly trying to mark off that list? Are you just kind of trying to sneak it in? <laughs> got to get that. Got to catch them all. Uh, and all that. The, the idea of comic writing is Pokemon. I, sorry, I don't think I've ever written Deadpool, actually. 
Like, I, I've done a Deadpool joke, but I don't think I've ever done it in any Deadpool. And it's weird because there is a certain Deadpool energy to Sinister. It's Imagine Deadpool with a PhD. Like, there is that kind of... <laughs> that's a horrific idea, isn't it? <laughs> Deadpool goes to grad school. That's a pitch right there. That yeah, sounds done. like an Infinity comic, if I've ever heard one. Really cool and fun and, and nightmarish. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you thinking about Secret Wars, thinking about Infinity Gauntlet in terms of these stories that affected you early on. Did you go back and, and look at those in terms of when you were thinking about doing this big crossover event for the first time? Were there any others that you looked at, reread, or did you just sit back and, and sort of zone in on what you wanted to do without looking at other stuff? I definitely sort of re-looked around at stuff I found influenced. Actually, The Ultimates, there's a good example of something. because so I looked at The Ultimates and I was reminded of some of the things that um, Brian and Mark did. Like, you know, how they started their issues with just a shot of Earth, like a splash page of like, a, you know, the chapel in New York or whatever, you know? And that's not something people did then. Why would you spend a splash page drawing a normal building? And of course, they do it to ground it. You know, they do it to make sure you know it's Earth. So, you know, me looking at the Ultimates is the reason why Judgment Day starts with that crowd scene. You know, like the idea, here's a crowd scene on Earth with the uh, sinister progenitor's captions over it. You know, Mark would never do that number of captions. So the captions is me lifting from, um, I mean, a lot of Alan Moore and Gaiman, to be honest. Obviously, there's a narrator in Eternals who has a very different voice. I looked at House of X. I don't think I took much from House of X, but I was interested in what Brian did with space and time. I looked a little bit at AVX. I must have looked a little bit at Secret Wars, as in the, the Hickman Assad one. I mean, there's influences from even outside the event. There's a very clear influence on my image book, uh, Die, I think. You know, like you can sort of see some of the techniques I played with there and are now applying here. It just feel like I could not have written this book 10 years ago. I feel like all the sort of craft stuff I learned are being put into play here. And something like Infinity Gauntlet, when I go to there, I'm looking at the feelings. It's less about the craft and more about, okay, what was it like when Feynos took apart all the heroes? How did that feel? I do love the fundamental, you know, Feynos defeats himself. That's important. It's the philosophical heart of it. You know, it's not one by who punches who the hardest. Though those who punch each other hardest is also important at the same time. You know, punching is also a metaphor yeah. in superhero comics. So, like, um, yeah, it's the big old bunch of stuff. That's what I mean. It's like it's my sort of weird love song to what I like about Marvel. I do love the Marvel Universe. It's, it's a great place. And you have all the best toys to play with. I do. <laughs> I mean, it, it's such an awesome event. And, you know, you talked with us about the Immortal X-Men tie-ins and things that you're working on. But what other tie-ins should people be looking out for and other pieces of the plot and story that are, you know, echoing out into the universe? Where would you recommend people continue to read? If you're going to get any free specials, I think it's the, the Avengers, Eternals, X-Men ones between five and six. I think that's the kind of like, it's just deep character dives in terms of like, let's externalise these characters' trauma and make them justify themselves. And it's poetic and weird and scary. Like the Tony one is really scary for me. And also emotionally upsetting. Like, you know, um, it's the first time I've written Tony since um, for a decade, really. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I said, it's weird coming back after, especially because my you know, going to get personal. But my dad was dying at the same time I was writing Tony. And of course, the whole Iron Man story is about his relationship with his father. So coming back to that similar material a decade on, weird. And also really difficult for me. But I think it's worthwhile. I think the story's really um, good, I hope. We'll see what people think of it. Sorry, that always make it about death and grimness. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's sort of why we come to these, you know, like yeah. we have big punchy moments, but those masks the things that make us feel things yeah. and, and really like 
cause us to think about these stories again, five, 10, 15 years later and talk about them and, and share them. So yeah, we've got to have a little bit of the, those grim feeling bits yeah. in there. I mean, especially with judgment day, it's like, if it says anything, it's like, it's about the question, are we all doomed? And that's a real hard question to think about in the world we live in. And of course, an interesting one to play with. Cause I think, you know, you ask questions, I don't think fiction is meant to give answers. But it's allowed to like give you comfort and escapism and you find things in it. So that's what I kind of hope we do. <sighs> Honestly, there's so much good punching too. <laughs> <laughs> so much good punching. Uh, you teased a little bit for four. Uh, you talk about some of the tie-ins and you mentioned, you know, sort of the three acts. Can you give a hint at to what the final act will be as we're getting closer to the end of the series in the next couple weeks, a month? Well, the end of act two, that's an end of issue four, is basically, well, there's going to be a judgment. And we'll see how that goes. And that basically, in that three, is the af- is basically seeing how the judgment goes with its consequences. Issue five is my favourite in the whole series, I think. I think that's one really hits. It's a steamroller. When I was going through with lettering, I was like, oh yeah, this is what I wanted it to be. Kieran, if you found out that you were created by Celestials and you were able to meet one of them, what would you say to them? <laughs> I remember me and my uh, wife were sitting and watching a television show and I think it was it was Westworld and, and we were like uh, sitting there and I just turned to my wife sadly and said honey like if I was a robot would you still love me and and uh, and she just started laughing uncontrollably <laughs> and said Kieran who would make you <laughs> and she quickly <laughs> and she quickly tweaked that to no no who would make us why on earth would anyone make robot us and I think that would be kind of like what I would say to Celestial in that kind of what on earth were you thinking <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would be thinking, I need a world-class comic book writer to fill out this planet. Okay, Kieran, I have one last personal question for you, which is, you are a world-class tabletop game player. (laughs) One, have you played the Marvel role-playing game yet, the new test playtest? And two, what is the best game you're playing currently? I have not played it yet, annoyingly. If you're at Axis, both me and Valeria have had kids during the creation of it. Iris joined us in January and um, Valerius had his child between issues five and six. So like my gaming has been really crunched, especially my, my rules reading. So I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it looks really exciting. The 616 dice system. That's just funny mm-hmm. and delightful. Mm-hmm. And nice that a one is good. It is. That's, that's nice for change. Um, and also I've actually just started playing a game again. Iris is sleeping well enough that uh, I've managed to have a like, carve out three hour Zoom session, which I played on Tuesday. Playing a game called Trophy Gold. Trophy Gold is kind of like an indie RPG take on sort of an, like an old school fantasy game, a really dark and grim fantasy game. But it strips its rules back so cleanly to make it what it's about. It's really compelling. Me and my kind of game designer friends, we're, we're playing this game and it's absolutely, we're, we're, we're giggling like children. It's a delightful game that really just cuts to the chase. Trophy Gold. I'm going to check it out. That sounds so fun. It is. Honestly, like if you follow my Twitter, I'm always recommending games. I know, I love it. <laughs> it's fun, honestly. It's, I, I love I love recommending stuff. Neat. I must admit, the weird thing about doing an event is my game design brain has sort of clicked in a bit. And I'm, I always think, okay, how would you turn this into a game? How would you do an event as a superhero like narrative system? So I've, I've started myself thinking, okay, what you really want to do is have basically pools of dice with each dice representing a hero. And you assemble pools of dice to work out narratively what happens to whole super teams at once. 
can you be Charles Xavier and then when you roll, you say, to me, my X-Men, yes. and you roll your dice? <laughs> Actually, you want Charles Xavier to be a D100, so it's like a, almost a smooth round ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then all the X-Men are like tax you throw as well. Uh, I love it. Oh well, you guys should work on this together, the two of you. I look forward <laughs> to playing that at some point. Kieran, thanks so much for all Thank your you, time Kieran. and uh, keep doing amazing work, pal. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, big thank you once again to Kieran for spending some time with us. The series is rolling on. I talked about it. I mentioned it earlier. Axe Judgment Day number four is one of our picks of the week on Marvel's pull list. So it's a perfect time to jump into it. Go to your local comic shop. Pick them up right now. Yeah. All right. Next week, we're going to be talking about Ant-Man with writer Al Ewing. The third issue is coming out on the 28th of this month. But because it is such a big anniversary for Marvel Unlimited's own Infinity Comics, we want to know what is your favorite Infinity Comic and why is it It's Jeff? (laughs) That's my personal question. But there are so many excellent characters in the Infinity Comics and we want to know who do you love? Alligator Loki? That's fine. Spider-Bot? That's great. Penny Parker of the Spider-Verse? We'll take them all. The X-Men Green storyline that Jerry Duggan wrote not too long ago and it's still going on. It's one of my favorite X-Men stories. And that's happening in the panels of X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic, which is so good. There's a ton of these Infinity Comics. Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal is in there. Hulkling and Wiccan. Hulkling and Wiccan was great. Test Kitchen is a lot of fun. Love Unlimited. Those oh, those yeah. like little romance comics featuring characters like Miss Marvel and Red Dagger. Marvel's Voices, Eternals, The 500-Year War, Spine-Tingling Spider-Man is in there if you want We've something creepy. We've been putting creepy. out a lot. It's really good. There's a current storyline going on in Avengers Unlimited Infinity comic by Murua and Dotan, two really great creators. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to come, so stay tuned. Yeah, and they're so fun to read. I really do love that format because it's just like scrolling on TikTok for me. You just like flip your thumb through. It's great. And it's like... Sitting on the subway, you got 15 minutes to kill. The best. Also, there's a whole series called Who Is? If you want to learn about characters. Ooh, that's a good tip. There's a ton of them in there. And, you know, we have like, who is Moon Girl? Or who is She-Hulk? Or a whole bunch of these types of stories that give you a sense of who these characters are. And you could just read them and scroll through them and maybe learn about some new characters. All right. You can tweet us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. And of course, please let us know if it's okay to read on the show so we can read them on the show like we're going to do right now, baby. Yeah, because our question of the week last week was, what were your favorite updates from D23 Expo 2022? So let's start off with Chander Pulling, who says, hi, this week in Marvel. My favorite announcement from D23 Expo has to be that Marvel Snap is finally coming out October 18th. The game is so fun and I can't wait for others to play it. Chandler, I am in the same boat as you. I am so hyped for people to play it. I was just like bleary eyed on the cab ride home from the airport yesterday, just snapping away. (laughs) I'm excited for the world to experience it. 
Arabe Doratio at Arabe underscore Excelsior says, my favorite updates from the D23 Expo is the unveiling of the Avengers Campus expansion at Disney California Adventure Park with King Thanos as an antagonist and all the heroes are included for the ride and Hulk is coming to Avengers Campus as the new heroic encounter. Yes, definitely excited for that big boy Hulk. Also, the concept art that Ryan Minerding created for that new attraction with King Thanos is so cool. Go check that out on Marvel.com if you haven't seen that yet, because it's got everyone from like Werewolf by Night and some other characters who are showing up to, of course, King Thanos and more. Hartley Burns at It's Hartley IG tweeted, The entire studio showcase of D23 Expo felt amazing from the casting in Marvel Studios, Thunderbolts, the Secret Invasion trailer dropping, the news on Captain America New World Order, and more information on the Marvels, a film with three strong female leads. I loved every announcement and hyped the second. I was like, the whole time. It was truly fun. Sunday, I was like walking around in my backyard, like tweeting, (laughs) but I love it. It's just one of my favorite things to follow along with. All right. Next up, we got Natalie Lucia at Movie Lover for Life, who said the casting of Kihui Kwan in Marvel Studios Loki season two. I was already excited for it, but this took that excitement to a whole other level. So great. It was also so cute to see him reconnected with Harrison Ford after his panel talking about Indiana Jones. That was just so sweet, and it's really going to be so fun to see him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, 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 yes. Captain America Shield Maiden at Jedi Tigger tweeted, The Marvel Studios Secret Invasion trailer, with its inclusion of Don Cheadle's Rhodey and the return of Colby Smulders' Maria Hill, was sweet. Plus, we get Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark. I mean, come on. Next up, Muzzamil at MuzzShake07 says, Seeing the Marvel Studios Secret Invasion trailer gave solid Winter Soldier and S.H.I.E.L.D. vibes. Also hearing about the footage from Marvel Studios, the Marvels sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, especially with more Kamala Khan geeking out over the other characters. Yes. Heba at Maybe Heba said, gotta be Bucky and Yelena coming together with the others to form some sort of anti-villain league. They're going to work perfectly together. Heba, I love calling it an anti-villain league. That's my yeah. favorite way to describe Marvel Studios Thunderbolts team. I love it. I love it a lot. Anti-heroes, kind of villains, not really villains, anti-villain <laughs> league. That'll do. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Next up, Nicole Woland at Nicole W1973 said, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio sharing the stage. Yes, of course, talking about Marvel Studios, Daredevil Born Again. That was such a great moment where Vincent D'Onofrio was there for Marvel Studios Echo, and then everybody left, and he was still there. And then Charlie Cox came out. They were reunited, and it was so fun. What a great moment. Truly, truly. The crowd was losing it. It was great. Fatima Fward at Fatima Fward 4 says, I'm so happy to see Daredevil again. And now I'm 100% sure that Charlie Cox is the most handsome man alive in this universe. (laughs) And I don't know how this universe is still dealing with it without going all volcano. (laughs) That is wonderful. Tremendous. I also just love the idea that someone is so attractive that volcanoes start to just (laughs) go. I can't handle it. Can't take it. (laughs) So good. All right, next up, Jaden L. at Gem Biscuit said, Tim Blake Nelson will be returning to the MCU. Can I tell you? So mm-hmm. thrilled about it. I love that we are delivering on this moment that we saw at the end of yeah. 
Marvel Studios' The Incredible Hulk so many years ago. If you know, you know, go back and watch it. Just great. Yeah. Ben Riddick at It's Ben Pie says, Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night special presentation took me completely by surprise, and I'm here for it. Oh, Ben. Yeah. You're going to love it. Next up, Johnny T-Zone at Shahulk Power Ring said the trailer for Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night looks like a full-on retro horror special, and I'm all in for it, especially for Halloween. Yes, the look is so cool. The artistry of the way it's shot already looks so awesome. Can't wait. We got an email from Grayson Woznesensky who said, is everything a valid answer? I think it is. It is, Grayson. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Next up, an email from Joe Hoffman says, Dear Ryan, Lorraine, and James, I hope this email finds you well. I have to start this email off by saying, welcome back, James. It was awesome to hear you back on TWIM again. I'm really happy for all you've been able to accomplish since we heard from you last. It's always awesome to hear about a fellow comic book geek who is doing as well as you seem to be, <laughs> especially when you're a righteous dude like you are, James. And Lorraine, I definitely want to thank you for so sweetly reading my email on your show. It always means a lot to me whenever you all do, especially when when you say that you enjoy receiving them. It makes me want to write to you all even more and listen to each week's episode of TWIM, of course. In answer to this week's question of the week from D23, I am most excited about seeing the Marvel Studios The Marvels movie. It will be amazing to see Carol, Monica, and Kamala, three of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe, team up. I'm also excited to see Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which I'm sure will be bittersweet due to the untimely death of Chadwick Boseman, who was incredible as King T'Challa. But it will be great to see how everybody else carries on in the absence of T'Challa and continues to present us with the wonderful world of Wakanda and all of the fantastic characters who reside there. Until next week, I wish you all the best and I look forward to listening to your next show. Joe, proud ambassador of the United States of Marvel's Bullist from the Wheat State of Kansas. P.S. My mom and sister have Lorraine as their middle name and it almost makes me smile when I hear your lovely name on the show. And Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law is really an incredible show and I'm glad they produced it just for you. <laughs> um, me too. Thank you so much. What a sweet message from you, Joe. Lovely, lovely indeed. And on that note, it is time for us to get going and do some other stuff. Thanks, y'all, for listening. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. With help from Rebecca Seidel. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Hi, Brad. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Sup, Jill. And special thanks to Daredevil's Volcanoes. Daredevil's Volcanoes. How does that work? No one knows. Daredevil's Volcanoes. Uh-oh, there she goes. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Ryan on the street.